what, 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 welcome to the Udamia Hello podcast. This is RJ, along with Andy and Mike, three dads. You didn't ask for it, but we're here anyways. I'm super excited about today because today is a little different uh, than normal. Uh, we are not doing a countdown today. We are not doing uh, a, a winner. We're just talking about amazing music that impacted us as youngins. How do you guys feel? These are all winners. Yes, they're all yeah. winners. So we are we chose winners ahead of time this week. <laughs> so right. we're going to talk a little bit about the three uh, top albums that impacted our childhood. There are many more uh, that impacted our childhood, and we decided to stick with anything before high school. So we will do another uh, episode in the future where we talk about some high school uh, albums that really impacted us. Um, but today is is just some of the first albums that we can remember listening to. Um, so again, uh, you guys excited what's going on? Yeah, I'm excited because we have a wide range of musical tastes. Um, as you'll see with our, if you've yeah. ever watched us, that's very clear. Um, but I think each one of us has even our three records that we each individually chose are very wide ranging. <laughs> Kate's already razzing us. Um, oh man! So yeah, I love the, the countdown music was more intense than the thing <laughs> yeah. yeah, Do we like up our uh, like how much funding that we have from like twenty five cents to fifty? Because that was a pretty good. Uh, yeah, good intro. I got it. Got, got a, uh, Was that Block I'm Rock and Beats? Is that what that song? Block Rock and Beats. You beat. know, <laughs> full disclosure, everybody. That was just some random song I found on iMovie. <laughs> <laughs> it's good that was good i was uh, or garage man, either one either one i'm surprised it didn't get us kicked off of youtube or facebook but we're still here so if it's uh, if it's, it's on one, like, garage band or whatever it's probably already you don't have to pay for any of that crap. it's got to be royalty free yeah it's free that's true that's true yeah well i'm excited um, i also i hey, put some money into lights behind yeah. me that's fun nice mood lighting yeah make it a little more sensual yeah. <laughs> joining joining Mike in the cool light background. That's right. That's right. And you guys got to join me in the pixelated background. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, I bet. I bet my Wi-Fi at my house is better than the Wi-Fi in your house. If I were to send you my Wi-Fi. Oh, most likely my middle of the woods Wi-Fi does not work very well. <laughs> You're lucky you can even hear me and kind of see me. Um, it's fine. And there's not a 15 second delay. Yeah, that's the most important um, thing. It's all about it's all about living in the woods, which really sucks sometimes because, um, as I found out this week, they like to get into your car and uh, make nests in your fuse box and chew all of your wires to the point where um, I may need to get a new car. So that's that was a fun little uh, hiccup this week um, that I was not <laughs> expecting. So hooray, hooray for wood living. You're talking about mice, right? Not your family. Uh, you know, at this point, <laughs> who knows? Who knows what happened? RJ sneaks well, into hey, my yard. Uh, if you are joining us just now, feel free to comment some of your favorite albums, some of your favorite artists when you were growing up. Uh, you know, you can date yourself by telling us, you know, that you love the Beatles or the Beach Boys, or you love yeah. Katy Perry. You could be like RJ and... in high school and date yourself. <laughs> Man, wow, well, I got nothing, but 
I'm excited uh, on the other front, music-wise. We've got a new song coming out finally. It's been a while, uh, but we have a new song. And tonight, we are world premiering the demo chorus of our new song. <laughs> so uh, it's it called Plans so we can read it. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, we are uh, coming out with a song. Uh, I can't remember the date it's coming out, but it is in the um, promo. So here it is. Is it in the queue? Very short. Okay. I don't know. But I'm living blind with nowhere to describe how this feels. And I'm moving forward with you, but the past is on my heels. All right. That was it. That was Andy hard at work. I got excited when that uh, the bass kicked in. That's a good bass. You you made it. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm spoiling <laughs> it a little bit. Hey, speaking um, of, yeah. uh, I, I was going to say, I just want to say hey to everybody over at Band Lab. I know we have some viewers uh, say what's up to Angie and, and Tony um, who support our show and put it out there at Band Lab and everybody that watches. Um, if you're outside some pretty cool um interviews and whatnot up on her uh site as well so go check that out and uh i'm gonna keep my hands in frame the whole time based on some of those band lab comments we got yes. in the last episode yes we, got some... <laughs> we won't go there <laughs> no it it is kind of like when rj was dating himself mm. wow did you guys go All broke right. on uh, Amazon Prime Day? Nope. Uh, I bought uh, – we bought a tablet for one of the kids, um, and we bought a – I bought something. Oh, I, no, I don't know what I bought. I don't know. I oh, forgot. it must have been really cool. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's awesome. I'll check it out well, next week. I was looking at, like, <laughs> if there was anything good on sale, like, music-wise. I was looking up to see if there's any good synthesizers or anything. There was a couple that were, like, 50 bucks off, but I was like, wasn't really intriguing enough for me to yeah. spend my money. Um, and now that I probably need it for a new car, um, I'm glad I didn't buy anything. Well, that's a good point. <laughs> good yeah. point. All right. Well, how do we um, want to do this? We didn't discuss anything, by the yeah. way, like well, how we <laughs> want to do this. Product. Like, this is so different than anything that we've done. Um, so we're just well, winging before it. Before we get there, I, I just want to mention the three of us got together in person. Uh, yeah. Finally. Uh, and we went bowling this week at yeah. this high-tech facility oh, this uh, awesome. called the East Providence Lanes. Oh, wait. What's this? We have a – oh, we have a report. I don't know why I didn't get you actually bowling, but yeah, that impeccable form. You didn't want to see the gutter ball that. I think I, I think that was actually when I threw a strike. I might have actually thrown a strike that time. That looked pretty good. Let's. Angie is here. I gotta say, I'm not a great bowler. I'm not a good bowler. I'm not a bowler in in any sense of the word. Um, And I bowled three of the best games I've ever done. I usually range anywhere from a fifty to a fifty-five. Uh, and I was bowling like 140. I was like, yeah. damn. Yeah, so, you won four out of five games. Three, but I'll take it. Yeah. 
Oh, and okay. that, and I, I came I in one. last uh, more than one game. Yes. <laughs> you, so the both of you like improved as the games went on. Yeah. And like by the third game, I was tired. I was like, I'm done. My shoulder does hurt. Wrist, form, right. like well, my hey, whole arm. Um, I have uh, been on another podcast uh, where we did a discussion of albums, and the way we did it there was we each took one turn apiece talking about one album, and we just went in a circle uh, until all three um, or all nine uh, were talked about. So we have nine albums today we're bringing to you, three apiece. Um, as Andy said earlier, it, they are very different from one another. Um, but let's start off. Um, who wants to start? Why don't, why, don't, why don't you go first, RJ? Because yeah, you're RJ. very excited about you are. records. Oh, gosh. You got right. a Super Mario um, Brothers shirt on? Like, you're I, just ready to go. I have a Super Mario Brothers. I think it's and, Super Mario Brothers 3, technically. But <clears> yeah. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm very excited about the albums. And they're also very all, they're all a little different. So I grew up listening to music through my mom's records. Uh, she had a record player. She had a, uh, a number of the uh, regular records and then the 45s. Everything uh, was on their Partridge family. Um, all the Motown hits, things like that. But one album uh, that uh, stands out um, as something I listen to all the time was Michael Jackson's Off the Wall. Uh, Michael Jackson has many, many good albums, many, many good songs. Um, and it's really a toss up for me between Off the Wall and Thriller as yeah. the two albums that I listened to a lot growing up. Now, obviously, the later stuff was also really good. I love Dangerous. Um, I really loved History, which was a big greatest hits compilation with some new stuff on it. I loved Bad. But Off the Wall was probably the first album that I heard with him on it. Uh, outside of the Jackson Five, um, Michael Jackson, one of the best-selling mu music artists of all time, uh, he's sold over 350 million records worldwide. Uh, he's had 13 number one singles on the Billboard Hot 100, more than any other male artist uh, in the Hot 100 era. He's the first artist to have a top 10 single in the Hot 100 in five different decades. Man. He's had 15 Grammy Awards, six Brit Awards, a Golden Globe Award, 39 Guinness World Records, uh, including the most successful entertainer of all time. Uh, he's also been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice um, and a bunch of other things. His estate in 2016, seven years after his death, was worth $825 million. Um, so yeah, just I bought a ton it. of stuff. I bought it. Um, <laughs> Off the Wall, however, was his first album after the Jackson 5, and it was a huge departure from the Jackson 5 music, and it's hailed as basically the major breakthrough for him. For people who are wondering, Off the Wall, what, what record was that? Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, Rock With You, uh, Off the Wall, uh, Working Day and Night, She's Out of My Life. Um, I think that was sort of the singles that came off of that, um, but just... A great album. Did, did either of you guys hear this album, or have you listened to it since? Yeah, yeah I actually. It, uh, I was going to say it, it's it's weird when you when you think of Michael Jackson. Um, you know, you go from the Jackson Five, and yeah, just Michael Jackson. Uh, you go from the Jackson Five, and then you go to Off the Wall, uh, and then even still, he continued to evolve afterwards to you know the pop star that he became. But Off the Wall was it's a disco record, you know, it came out in the late seventies. Um, and you wouldn't necessarily think of 
Michael Jackson as a disco artist, but this record is possibly one of the biggest uh, disco records of all time. Yeah, it was it was a little bit of a mix. Um, definitely more disco influence for sure. Like um, I I was going through this phase. I think I talked about before where I was listening to um, some of the top albums that Rolling Stone they put together this top five hundred list, and um, you know Thriller was on there off the wall of course we're on there and those are two the two albums that a lot of people debate as to which one was better personally i think i like thriller a little bit better but this is right behind it um so i i really enjoyed it and i listened to it the other day um i think if you just turned on the radio ever in your life you probably know half <laughs> of the the album already um so there's not not any surprises on it um but I think for me, like the album starts off really strong um, and just kind of just, just keeps you going. Like uh, they probably could have, I think that it was mixed well, you know, from that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. So this album, it marks basically, a, it's a landmark of the disco era. It's one of the greatest albums of all time in the disco era. Um, it's certified nine times platinum uh, in 2021. Uh, just this past February. But um, Rod Temperton is a name you may have heard. Rod Temperton actually came in and wrote with him uh, Rock With You, uh, Off The Wall, and Burn This Disco Out. And they were only going to use one of them, but Michael loved all three of them. Um, and so he ended up uh, keeping it. Sorry, guys. I just got a, a uh, flash that my computer wasn't plugged in. So we do not want to lose, <laughs> lose me. Um but yeah, so Temperton came in, wrote all three of those songs with him. They ended up keeping them. Uh, and Michael Jackson actually learned all three of the lyrics uh, throughout the night so that he can sing and not read them as he recorded them. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and then another uh, moment there was She's Out of My Life was actually written for Quincy Jones. Um, and Quincy said, you know, Michael can have this song. And She's Out of My Life, he cries at the end of this song and they keep it in. So if you've ever heard the ending of She's Out of My Life, he's crying at the end of it because of how emotional uh, that song was for him. But um, Michael would go on to do a lot more after this thriller being, you know, again, a debatable, one of the greatest albums of all time. Yeah. Uh, Bad was a great follow-up. Dangerous. Uh, it's kind of a sleeper hit, Dangerous. There's a lot of good songs off of it, but as an album, um, it, it's not as well known, but I love it. Uh, and then History was one of the first albums. Andy was talking about it when we were preparing for this. What were some of the first albums you bought with your own money? Uh, and History at Ann and Hope. Uh, I bought <laughs> oh, it. Dang. Um, and I remember buying History and being so excited. It was a two uh, CD uh, one with a whole sleeve, a whole book uh, of every song. I love it when they had the lyrics in the, in the, in the booklet. And uh, History was uh, the first album was all greatest hits. And the second album was all new songs like Scream. Um, they Don't Really Care About Us. Um, and a cover of Charlie Chaplin's Smile are the ones that, that really stick out for me. But um, yeah, so that's one of the, that's my first one, guys. Michael Jackson's Off the Wall. If you haven't heard it, uh, definitely um, <laughs> check it out. And yes, uh, Band Lab, We Are the World. That was a huge uh, song which included Michael Jackson and about 40 other artists at the time. I think that was uh, after uh, this and Thriller. Uh, I think it was some, somewhere in the mid-80s. But We are the world. It, it, yeah, I was going to say, if you haven't heard this album, um, 
wake up. <laughs> You've been living under a rock. I think even under rocks. Let's move on to Andy. Andy, what do you got for us today? All right. All right. So I'm going to go with an album that really um, kind of formatted me into being a hip hop head, essentially. So growing up as a kid, it was basically just the radio on uh, my mom, you know, playing whatever the current hits were. So that's kind of what I grew up with. It wasn't album playing. So um, as I got a little bit older, uh, that's when I started listening to full albums. And it was like my, my stepfather uh, had a, a massive CD collection. So it was always these long car rides with him and kind of listening to different things. Um, and in this massive CD collection, I start to see all these hip hop CDs and I'm like trying to figure out like, what do I, what do I want to listen to? What's going to really kind of pique my interest? Cause at this point, what you have on the radio is like, gangster rap essentially you have a lot of you know dr dre snoop dogg um onyx N you know things NWA. Like, yeah. yeah things like that and um frankly there was an album by it was either easy -E or nwa where they did like this really deep voice like uh, like a horror like ha 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 and my stepfather used to turn off the lights and scare the little crap out of me as a kid he would play that because i like that la those that kind of voice that like, freaked me out so i was like i don't know like if i put the headphones on like what's gonna scare me or not right um so i i, I see this one cd and i'm like you know this it's, it looks pretty cool um you know nothing um this is like kind of like a, a wholesome album like to me i was like all right you know let, let me check it out and uh i put it in a walkman a little cd okay. walkman a right a what exactly uh... exactly <laughs> exactly what is, what is that kids go go google what a walkman was um so the first song hits and it's just this bass line and then this nasally voice comes in and just you know back in the days when i was a teenager before i had status and before i had a pager and i'm like what in the world is this and it was q-tips voice uh, and the album is a tribe called quest low-end theory uh which is undoubtedly one of the best hip-hop albums of all time it's very critically acclaimed amongst uh you know true true hip-hop um you know followers that that is a, that is a walkman <laughs> yes um i i had probably kind of like that blue one with those really uh sucky headphones that's kind of what what i had uh, with like little foam in the ears and your ears would get all like irritated um so from start to end, this album just kind of floors you. Uh, it's just a very complete album. Um, a Trap Called Quest, you know, is, is Q-Tip. Um, Fife Dog, who on this album kind of comes in and out. Uh, and then Ali Shaheed Muhammad, which was a producer slash DJ. Uh, Q-Tip really produced the entire track. And, um, you know, around this time, what they were kind of known for, this is their second album. Uh, their first album was pure sample, jazzy kind of kind of stuff. This one was more uh, baseline uh, heavy, um, and so it, it was a little bit of different sound. And then they end up their third album, Midnight Marauders. People dispute those two. It's kind of like Thriller yeah. off the wall. Obviously not as yeah. huge, but like as to which one is their best album. Um, so this this has some really standout tracks so obviously that first track excursions 
uh, that that opening line is very is quoted a lot. Um, you have um, one of my favorite songs is called Show Business, um, which is them, uh, Diamond D, and then Lord Jamar and Sadat X, uh, who are from Brain Nubian, and uh, basically talk about the trials and tribulations of the <laughs> the rap industry. And um, yeah, Sadat X hits him with a, oh, he's cute. Yeah, real cute, but I wasn't that cute when I didn't have no loot. Um, so. <laughs> Um, they just they just go off on on that, and then you got check the rhyme, which was one I think their first single off the album, yep. where they just go they go back and forth with different uh, verses, and that's where uh, if you've ever heard uh, industry rule number four thousand eighty, uh, the record uh, business is shady. Um, that's where that comes from, and uh, you know so if you ever see the rule number four thousand eighty, I actually saw a thing today about Britney Spears. Uh, I don't know if you guys have been seeing this in the news. Yeah. About, yeah. Yeah. So like, Oh, someone was like, Oh, there's no way she's only worth like 60 something million. She's got to be worth more. And someone put industry, industry rule number 4,080. <laughs> um, and then really the last song is my favorite song of all time. It's scenario, um, which features leaders of the new school, uh, and one of the people and leaders of new school is Buster Rhymes. And this was really the song that catapulted his solo career. I believe they went on, um, I think it was Arsenio Hall and, and performed this. Uh, and this was like the first time, like really seeing Buster Rhymes, like in person and his, his rhyme, his verse is absolutely crazy. Yeah. Um, so good. Uh, yeah, Nicki Minaj, the rah rah like a dungeon dragon. I know she had a song that that sampled that piece. Like, um, yeah, just goes completely bonkers. So that is that is the album that really shaped kind of what I started listening to. I was so glad that that was like the one that I decided to pop into the the CD player. And the the crappy thing was, so like most albums, right? Back in the day, you could open up and you look in the little CD booklet. It was like a, it came out and it was just like a page and there was like nothing in there. I was like, I want, this is before like the internet. I was like, I want to know more about this group. Um, so what I do, I went to the CD store and I freaking, whenever I saved up 10 bucks, I went, I bought the next CD and I bought the next one and I just went through and then they ended up coming back and they released an album right before, um, or right after Fife Dog, uh, you know, passed away and, which was another great album that they, they came back together as a group. So if you don't know who they are, go check them out. Start off yeah. with this album first, for sure. Yeah, you can't go wrong. You really can't. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a record that I got into very late, maybe only about 10 years ago. And I, I knew the singles. Everyone knows the singles off that record if you were listening to the radio at that time. But really going back and listening to that whole record, I mean, the production is impeccable. Uh, the beats are amazing. Uh, there was even a, a, a documentary that came out, I want to say about yeah. five or six years ago, where Q-Tip talks a lot about where he got his samples from. And he talks about the jazz records that he, you know, he would find it like yard sales and stuff and, and all that. And the, it's just so amazing. Like, again, I know we talked about this uh, a few episodes back, but, you know, early to mid nineties, hip hop was all about just trying to just get it done any way you could. And, you know, these guys were, were definitely in the heart of it. And, you know, it, it, 
it pays off. This record is absolutely amazing. Even if you don't like rap or hip hop, um, it's just cool to just throw on in the background, chill oh, beats. Yeah. You know, it's it's so good. Yeah, I know a lot of people who like hip hop isn't the thing that they listen to, but when I speak, I'm like, oh, a tribe called Quest, my favorite group. Like, oh yeah, no, I like them. Like, it's yeah, they're kind of for everybody. Like, it's not like a, it's not gangster rap. It's not super hardcore. It's just something you can. Yeah, if you like jazz music, if you just like kind of laid back kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, Fife Dog comes in there and he's he's got aggressive uh, lyrics, but he's kind of like battle rhyme, like he makes you laugh. Um, so, yeah, it's a good mix. Nice. So good. They have definitely gone and inspired a ton of hip hop, R&B musicians, even rock musicians like Jack White um, and electronica musician James Lavelle. Um, they've been uh, influencing Kanye West, uh, Outkast, Pharrell, uh, D'Angelo, Nas, Kendrick Lamar. Dr. Dre produced his solo debut, The Chronic, after being inspired by listening to this album. So it definitely goes a long way. I myself have not actually heard uh, most of this album. So um, it'll be on my list to go and check out for sure after this. Check yeah. it around. Do it. All right, Mike, <laughs> what do we got? Moving on. Number three. Oh, boy. So um, I struggled a lot uh, picking three records, as you guys know, um, and I really had to sit back and, you know, one of the first records that I wanted to choose, uh, I wanted it to, you know, be something that I still listen to, to show how much of an impact it really had. And, um, you know, this first record came out in 1988. Um, I was not aware of this until 1989 until the band released a music video, their first ever music video they had put out. And that music video was for the song One off of Metallica's And Justice For All. Um, I remember seeing this video and just being absolutely floored by the music. Um, you know, my mom had always listened to harder music, um, but I had never heard anything like Metallica before. And hearing that song and just like the intricacies of the music and just the fast drums and then going into the softer parts and then just amazing guitar solos and guitar duels and harmonizing. And it, it was just absolutely like mind blowing to me to hear something like that because and even still, you know, there wasn't really anything that even matched that. At the time, you know, you you had bands like Anthrax and you know Megadeth had just uh, started up after Dave Mustaine left, and and you you had metal bands like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden, but there was nothing with the ferocity and the energy that Metallica had on this record. So, you know, it it, it everybody was listening to Metallica at the time. You know, it, they were absolutely huge. This was their fourth record. Um, you know, they had sold millions of copies of of their first three records um so you know everyone was listening to it my 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 cousin you know huge metallica fan as well um we started uh you know a band in our early teens um and uh you know this record and the following record metallica's black album huge influence uh on us as far as musicians um but uh you know, every song on this record um, was different than anything they had written before as well. They were not to say formulaic, 
before, but there was very much a verse, chorus, verse, chorus. And that was a lot of music at the time. That That's what popular, you know, music, metal, whatever you want to say was. And then this record came out and they just, they really just wanted to show off. They literally said, we just want to play as many parts and play as fast and as loud and write as many complicated parts and put them into a song as we can. Um, and they did that, but they didn't do it in such a way that it's off-putting. So listening to other songs on this record, like uh, the title track, Injustice for All, I mean, you got Blackened that opens with a, um, a guitar riff played in reverse, uh, which is why it has that weird kind of mm. swell sound to it. Um, how, yeah, wait, how'd they play it in reverse? Uh, well, they recorded it and then, and then played the tape backwards. Yeah, they recorded the tape back then. I was gonna say, how did they did they perform <laughs> that live? Uh, yeah, so they played it, they played the guitar part, and then after they recorded it, they played it back backwards. And then, I mean, like during concert, like, uh, it's pre recorded when they played it live. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, th this record, even the way they recorded it was fairly unique. Uh, it was the first time they ever played to uh, what's called a click track, where everyone will will have headphones on and you'll hear ticking sounds for the, the beat of the music. And this is the first time Metallica ever used a click track. Um, so they had one recording for the vocals, one recording for the guitar and bass, one recording for the drums. And that really gave this record its sound and that's why it sounds as unique as it does because what they did was they took everything and they lined it up or what's called quantizing but they had to do it by hand back then there was no computers they were literally cutting tape and making things line up which is why every song is like spot on um and a lot of these songs they didn't play for years um, my favorite track on the album is Dyer's Eve. It's the closing uh, song on the record. And if anybody knows that song, it is relentless, double bass, amazing, just fast drums, fast guitars, aggressive vocals from the beginning to the end. And they knew uh, they played that on their first tour when they toured for the record and then didn't play those songs for about 18 to 25 years because the songs were so exhausting. Uh -huh. Um, yeah. And, and, but on the, the other side of it, you can still listen to that record just being a rock fan because, um, you know, it has great melody in the guitars has, you know, great, um, uh, um, vocal structures. And there's just a lot of really cool parts of the record that will really catch anyone's ear. Um, because, uh, it's, it's, just compose so well they didn't just play really fast just to play fast i mean there's melodies um that that you wouldn't normally hear in music at the time with fast guitars anyways it would just sound like mush if you were listening to like uh oh ingve malmstein or something just to throw a name out there but um yeah so good um you know the the a lot of people say the black album is where they they kind of sold out but you know this record really catapulted them you know they came around around the mtv era when music videos were starting to get big so you could see what metallica looked like who was already one of the biggest bands in the world um and then they had a video and uh even listening to the black album a lot of those songs sound like they could have been leftovers from injustice for all so 
to anyone that says the Black Album is where they sold out, uh, you lie. You're a liar. I know. <laughs> um, but honestly, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 great. What, what were you going to say, Andy? Sorry. I was going to say that's that was kind of my introduction to Metallica was the Black Album. I almost put that on on my list because that was, was my stepfather and my uncle were big into heavy metal. Was constantly played. Um, and that's kind of where I, I, I started to listen to them. But I think this album, if you're not a, a big Metallica fan, you'll know the song one. Um, cause that's one of the most mm -hmm. popular songs that still will be played on the radio. Apparently there's fireworks going off in my neighborhood for some reason. Um, because it's, it's the weekend today. before the 4th of July weekend. Yeah. And then maybe they're just testing things out. So if you hear a large <laughs> kaboom, that's what's going on. You see me go, oh, that's because that scared oh. me. <laughs> oh. um, yeah. But this song, uh, this, this album was like super intense. Um, yeah. And uh, I was reading that the big complaint about the album was you couldn't really hear the bass. No too bass. Much. No bass. Right. It was really low. Um, apparently they just came off a tour and their eardrums were just shot and they couldn't hear much of anything. So like they kept upping the levels of everything else so they could hear those and the bass got, <laughs> got left out. Yeah. So, um, and they were like, Oh, they did a re-release of the album and they didn't change anything about it. They were like, this is a part of our history. This is the, you know, this is the way it came out. This is the way yeah. it's going to be re-released as well. So, yeah, you know, Things like that happen, but it makes it it makes it unique, you know, in their their own thing. So nice, yeah. I one is huge for me. I think this was on one of the Rock Band or Guitar Hero, um, maybe so Rock Band because I think was it was a download. But was Expose? It was on. It was it was, <laughs> it was it was it was on Guitar Hero Metallica, Metallica. Expose. Okay, well, there you go. So they had their own. But one was actually voted as the seventh greatest guitar solo of all time, uh, placing between November Rain by Guns N' Roses and Hotel California by the Eagles. So a great place to be. Um, it was also nominated for the first ever Grammy Award for the Best Metal Performance in uh, 1990. So and then cool they stuff. lost to Jethro Tull and everyone got mad about it. Yeah. So, Mike, <laughs> our Grammy gave out awards. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. She was uh, pretty wow. awesome. There were cookies. <laughs> she gave out um, wine biscuits to everyone. Oh, yes, yes. And uh, <laughs> the best macaroni you'd ever eat. You know it. Well, my next one. <laughs> um, uh, moving away from Metallica and getting into a little, a little something different. Um, so I would dare say this is my favorite group of all time uh, in awesome. any genre. Uh, seasons changed by expose. No, um, no, honestly. So I, 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 you have my mom to thank or blame for this. Um, but, uh, one of the music, one of the mu uh, music that I got into, uh, in that time was boys to men, uh, boys to men formed, uh, in the late eighties, uh, in Philadelphia. Um, and they just had that Motown sound and I had already been into a ton of Motown, uh, due to my mom's record collection, um, listening to the temptations, uh, listening to, um, you know, a lot of the other Motown artists. Um, but boys to men just stuck out for me. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with today, their album two, um, which is not their first one. Cooley Eye Harmony, uh, was their first one. 
Um, and it was the first one I heard. End of the Road was on that. Motown Philly was on that. Um, and so some big hits off of that, but nothing compared to two. Um, you had uh, Water Runs Dry, On Bended Knee, I'll Make Love to You, uh, Thank You, um, a cover of the Beatles Yesterday, which if you like the Beatles or you don't, you've heard Yesterday, listen to Boys to Men, uh, redo that acapella version. Um, it's amazing. Um, but for people who don't know, Boys to Men uh, was a very early uh, boy band, if you could say, um, uh, who, who sung uh, four parts. Uh, they had uh, Wanye, Sean, Mike, and Nathan. Uh, Michael being that guy who just spoke and did the bass lines uh, throughout most of their songs. So if you ever heard those songs and the guy was like, hey, girl. Hey, baby, I just want to let you know uh, <laughs> that was Michael. Uh, he did leave the group 2003. Um, and since then, they've been just the three of them uh, since then. But um, Just the three of them. <laughs> um, but two, man, that was an album I listened to straight uh from from start to to finish um it was their second uh or third studio album technically because they had a christmas album in between uh where yep. they actually worked with brian mcknight uh doing uh let it snow uh, was their big hit from that one but <laughs> uh boys to men released this in uh august of 1994 on motown records uh i'll make love to you was one of their singles on bended knee actually replaced it in the Hot 100, making them the third artist uh, ever to replace themselves at number one, uh, along with Elvis and the Beatles. And they were the first to achieve it in 30 years, which was pretty cool. Uh, I'll Make Love to You spent 14 weeks in the Top 100's uh, number one. Uh, first artist to achieve a consecutive double-digit run at the top, because End of the Road uh, was also uh, on there for over 10 weeks. Um, uh, they equaled Whitney Houston's uh, I Will Always Love You. Uh, which was another uh, big hit. But um, for people who don't know, Water Runs Dry was another one. Thank You was probably the lesser uh, known of those, but um, just some really cool stuff. I actually just watched a documentary on YouTube uh, where surprisingly, I think it was Dallas Austin uh, did an Ask Me Anything, and he talks about how Boys to Men was some of the worst people he's ever worked with. Oh, um, no. <laughs> I really? hope it's not true um, because I really do like them, but... Uh, he said, yeah, they were they were divas uh, when he did two uh, with them. Um, but Dallas Austin did a ton of their stuff. Um, but they did write most of their song uh, their songs along with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Um, and then L.A. Reed was big in that as well. Uh, Tony Rich uh, was involved in the in this stuff, too. If you know Tony Rich, he did uh, Nobody Knows Tony Rich Project, uh, which was uh, a really big song in the late 90s. Um, Yep. Yeah, I think they were going to go with a couple other like little uh, unknown producers and the record label. I think they ended up doing a couple checks, but the record label was like, "No, you need to work with these established, you know, hit makers essentially. Like, you're the biggest <laughs> uh group right now. Uh you're we're putting the, you know, we're putting somebody who knows what they're doing in here." So and luckily they did, because Babyface ended up writing I'll Make Love to You and Water Runs Dry, which are two of the biggest R&B hits of all time, probably. Yeah. Um, Babyface himself has made countless records and, and singles for his own uh, his own name. Um, and he's performed with them a bunch of times live, too. I saw uh, they were on Oprah together, and they did like a compilation of I'll Make Love to You on Bended Knee, End of the Road, which all of them had Babyface in. So 
Um, pretty cool stuff, but um, they are definitely one of my my favorite people of all time. I've seen them a couple times. I actually saw them um, earlier uh, at the in Springfield, Massachusetts, and then my wife actually bought me tickets to them at Twin River Casino of all places. <laughs> um, and I got to I got to see them with a bunch of forty five year old women. Uh, it, was, it was a fun. <laughs> It was a fun concert, um, but uh, you were the young. <laughs> they were just there. as good. I was the youngin, yeah. Um, but it was great. I, I love oh, it. They've, they've come out with so many other hits. Coolie Harmony. Before that, uh, Evolution, which you might know for a song for Mama, which was one of their big hits. After that, um, yeah. and then they broke off from their record label because they didn't like that formulaic thing. They didn't like working with a lot of the bigger names, and they came out with their own album. Uh, called Nathan Michael Sean Wanye, one of my favorite albums, but it didn't make it anywhere. Um, there was a, a, a single off of it called Pass You By, which it kind of passed everyone by. Um, <laughs> but if you really uh, want to hear what they were going for, um, Nathan Michael Sean Wanye from 2000 is actually a great album. Um, I kind of lost them after that. They did a couple things like Full Circle, uh, the remedy, um, and then they started doing covers, and they kind of turned into the Las Vegas, uh, you know, uh, weekly show. Yeah, the show uh, on they, the strip. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, and so they did a, a Motown album uh, where they just covered Motown songs. They did a Love album where they covered all love songs, which are great, by the way. Um, and then Under the Streetlight, they just came out with this in 2017, where they're covering even older uh, Motown songs from like the 50s, 60s. So. Um, if you're interested in hearing them cover about 58 songs, uh, there's Motown, <laughs> uh, Love, and Under the Streetlight. But they haven't come out with anything original that that's, that's that great since Nathan Michael Sean Wanye in 2000. But they're still going strong, doing their thing. They were just on Songland a couple years ago, uh, which is a uh, American Idolish type show. Um, and they appeared on there and sang a song. So they're still doing their thing. And they had a Las Vegas show a couple of years ago. Um, so, yeah. What do you guys uh, think? What was your experience, if there was any, with Boyz II Men? Yeah, uh, I do I think... remember a couple of the hits. Um, and, and again, being a product of the MTV era, you know, those songs were all over MTV. You know, I'll Make Love to You was, I think, their, one of their biggest videos. Um, I, this was one of the records, unfortunately, that I didn't get a chance to listen to all the way through. Um, you know, but I, I again, it's not really in my wheelhouse either. But I, I do remember it being big. I mean, everybody was was uh, at least singing that song. Yeah, um, I, I you know, the only album that I own of Boys to Men is um, the first one there with Motown Philly on it. That was the one that I listened to a lot. Um, but then I did listen to two, uh, based off of RJ's recommendation, I don't know, sometime, I don't know, six months ago or something like that, when <laughs> we were just kind of in a casual conversation, he was like, hey, can you make a beat like the ones on Boys to Men's 2? So this moron wants me to make beats like freaking Babyface over here. Like, who do you, who do you think you are? <laughs> Come on. And I, I made one, and I sent it to him, and he immediately just was like, I can't use that. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> Sorry, I, you spent all that time on that thing I asked you to do. Yeah, I tried and, and failed, and I said you're, you're, you get what, whatever I give you. Um, so, but no, it, it was it was a great album. Obviously, the hits. Um, I liked some of the songs that weren't their hits. Um, 
I can't remember the name of it, but there's one that's very uh, more hip hop ish, you know, kind of kind of beat that I really liked, and um, you know, some of their slower stuff is is okay. I like kind of their their up tempo stuff a little bit more, but yeah. All right, Mike. Uh, anything last to say about that? If not, we're going to move on to Andy. Andy is next. All right. Thanks for that introduction, guys. <laughs> so here we go with going like way off track from what we were just talking about. Um, this this album um, was another one. Long car rides. Um, and from start to finish, if you are not pumped at any point during this album you have no pulse um and this was it's a punk rock classic um and that's offspring smash i think i have owned this album multiple times i had it thought i lost it bought it again and then actually <laughs> found that i oh crap there it is it's somewhere else um but i always had to have this album with me um and it always you know when i would have long car rides um, to work, I would always bring like a big collection of CDs to kind of go through. And this one was always in there. Um, and I still listen to it, um, you know, from time to time because it's just, it, it's so good. And this was, um, you know, you didn't hear, hear a lot of punk rock, um, especially like on the radio. Like I think at this time, Green Day's Dookie, uh, album yep. was, was the big one, right. That was out there. So, yep. um, and, offspring was kind of in this place too where the record label really wasn't putting a lot of money into into them um, i think they had a really small budget um when they made this album twenty thousand dollars twenty thousand dollars which that's people nothing are, yeah and yeah in the record industry that's that's nothing um so to make an album like this bare bones um is so good i feel like most of these songs could have been singles. Um, I really strongly feel that they're every single one is so good on their own. Um, there's some songs that are super short, like a minute and a half, two minutes, and then other ones that kind of go on a little bit. Um, and they're they're all good, really um, up tempo that punk rock, but also like in that kind of essence, like songs that you can sing along to, especially like the choruses, um, which kind of um, plays a little bit to the mainstream like that you could you could play this on the radio um obviously the big song on here was the come out and play which um is the keep them separated uh yep. song and uh, uh basically oh so dexter holland from the group said that basically he was writing about whatever was happening in front of him and he said back then he was a grad student and he was commuting to school every day uh, in a in a crappy car driving through East LA, which was gangland central. Um, so he was, he was kind of there the day of the LA riots. So it was very kind of, uh, aware of kind of what was going on in the world at that time. Um, so that's kind of what, what was going on, uh, Raven. So if you're a wrestling fan, Raven from ECW had this as his theme music, which kind of went along with his character really well. Um, there's a song called bad habit. Um, I will say this. If you have road rage, do not listen to Bad <laughs> Habit. Um, it will not get you in the right mindset while you are driving because it's all about road rage and doing something that um, 
that's really bad. There's one line in there though that is probably will go down in history as one of the greatest lines ever in music, and that's where he says, "You stupid, dumb poop, GD mf'er," and the way like the way it comes together is so great. Um, and that's him just yelling at another passerby. Here. Um, uh, and then another great song is uh, "Self Esteem." Um, self-esteem uh, was their second single that was released off the album basically um, you know he he's kind of in an abusive relationship where he's this girl is just taking advantage of of him um, and he's got no self-esteem and he's kind of just like right, whatever he's you know now I know I'm being used but that's okay because I like the abuse you know he, he knows <laughs> what he's in for that's a situation um, he put himself in yeah yeah um and there's another song called what happened to you which is really good um basically about trying to help somebody who's going through uh addiction uh issues and he's just kind of at the end of the road with trying to help them and they're not they're not taking that that help and um so that's that's a really interesting song so you just kind of see like every song's really different and the songwriting was really unique um so I know, Mike, you almost put this album yeah. on, on your list as well. So I don't know if you have anything you want to add. Yeah, I, I had this um, I had this on cassette uh, nice. for anyone that doesn't know. Uh, it's a little plastic on uh, rectangle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's that <laughs> thing. It's that thing on the side. Um, yeah, I used to listen to this all the time. I used to ride my bike to elementary school. Uh, in this Going, more you often. Stupid. <laughs> yeah, uh, I did Straight a few times, actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, more often than not, uh, that's a cassette tape. Uh, this this would be what I was listening to. And um, yeah, you, you, you're so right, Andy. It, it's it's packed from front to back. Every song is is great. I mean, it had uh, four singles, uh, depending on what part of the world you lived in, maybe more. Um, you know, and, and this was a huge, huge success. Yeah. That's probably my, uh, the cassette that you bought was the one that I was listening <laughs> to. Your mom. Um, yeah, they, they were, uh, Dexter, the, the singer, uh, and guitar player. This is the first record he played guitar and sang. He used to just sing. Um, so the songwriting process was a little bit different. Um, but uh, yeah, their previous record, which was their third record, Smash ended up being their fourth record. So they had been around for a while and somewhat established, uh, only sold 15,000 records. So the label didn't give them money because they weren't making money. Uh, and that's yeah. what happened. So they still wanted to make this record. So they used to try to go into the studio at these weird times and get discounted rates um, to record this music. A bunch of the songs... Um, uh, the, the last four songs they recorded for the record, they recorded in two days. Uh, if anyone knows, um, you know, what quality music is supposed to sound like, uh, generally one song will take more than two days, if not more than that. Um, but, uh, you know, their, all their hard work. Yeah. Uh, all their hard work paid off because this record went platinum six times. So that means they sold over six million copies of this record worldwide. Uh, 300 of those to Andy because he forgot that he owned it. And he yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, absolutely amazing record. Um, yeah, I, I 
can't even say enough good things about it. It's it was definitely something I used to listen to all the time. Uh, and if I could find a, a CD, I'm sure I would listen to it some more. I guess I was busy singing I'll Make Love to You in my <laughs> bedroom by myself. I did not listen to this album. I did uh, understand Offspring a little bit what? more later when they came out with Pretty Fly for a White Guy um, mm. and Why Don't You Get a Job. Um, but uh, before that, I, I didn't know a lot about them. I did know a lot of the other bands at the time, Some 41, New Found Glory, All Time. Oh, this was before um, but yeah, this like, was before this was what, Excuse me, Newfound Glory has been around forever. Um, but like, <laughs> this is like ninety four. Yeah. though. I, I just Newfound wasn't Glory wasn't was a like huge fan. But 2000? no, Newfound Glory was nineties uh, as well. Yeah, they didn't make it big till later. But um, anything else to say about the Offspring? Nope. No. I like them. They're good. I like they, it. I like uh, they kind of well, they did kind of lose me after that record. And then when they did the play pretty fly for a white guy, I was like, nope, I'm off this train. And you know why I know that, Andy? A pretty fly for a white guy was I think Dean's wrestling theme music for a little while. And probably I think, um, I think so. <laughs> yeah. So uh Mr. Greatness, uh <laughs> our friend Dean, uh used to to come out to Pretty Fly for a White Guy for his wrestling theme music. Uh Andy, what did you have for wrestling <laughs> theme music back in the day? <laughs> I had uh, Ozzy Osbourne's Hellraiser. Mm, nice, nice. Has, I had Limp Bizkit. I called my finisher the like Hellraiser, this. so I looked up. That's right, you did. You also had High Voltage in your tag team. Yes, Lincoln Park, High With Voltage. Your, uh, and, uh, yeah, you also a bad haircut and your boss uh, sweater. I and also short, had shorts. Uh, shorts over sweatpants. <laughs> yeah. The most athletic thing you can wear. A lot of bad decisions <laughs> happening back in that day. <laughs> Excuse me, Mike. You just had to almost call out of work today because of how you went bowling. Uh, yeah, well, my shoulder still hurts. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, I picked Michael Jackson. I picked my, Boys to Men. I decided I to Mike's go turn, right? and save. Oh, is it? Oh, my fault. My fault. Mike. Is it? Yeah, yeah. I always, I always go after Andy. Sorry, today. hold on. Let me, let me, let me move. It you goes RJ. There you go. Andy, Mike. Right, we're better. RJ, Andy, Mike. Um. So my okay. next record, um. Also, this band's fourth record, 1992's Soundgarden Super Unknown. Um. Front to back, no skip. One of my all-time favorite records. Period. Hands down. Um, nothing even comes close to this for me um, in terms of the bands that came out around this time. You know, you had Pearl Jam. Yeah, 10 was good, whatever. Um, you had Nirvana. Um, you know, they had come out with In Utero a couple of years earlier. Um, Alice in Chains came out around the same time. Still one of my all-time favorite bands. But, um, you know, this record absolutely like stratosphere for Soundgarden after this record came out the record before um they did have uh rusty cage jesus christ pose you know so they had some breakout songs but nothing like black hole sun that song was absolutely everywhere you couldn't 
turn on the radio without hearing Black Hole Sun um, and uh, Spoon Man. Those two songs for this record absolutely dominated the radio. And they still had other singles off the record. They had The Day I Tried to Live. They had My Wave, Fell on Black Days, all amazing songs. Um, but those two songs really were everywhere. And, um, you know, I, I had the cassette um, and uh, I would skip around and I would skip some of the other songs that, uh, you know, weren't like a, a, a traditional rock song. But going back, um, you know, as I got older and, and uh, understood music a little more and I was playing music and, and whatnot, uh, really listening to this record is is it's a whole different experience. It's it really showed what popular rock music could have been back then. Um, it really broke the mold for what you would hear on the radio or for what a popular rock record would be. They were experimenting with different cultural instruments and the music, um, uh, but not like putting them just back in the mix, like actually making them part of the song. Spoonman actually has a street performer named Artis that uh, would be performing on the streets of Seattle, literally playing spoons. They brought that guy into the studio to play spoons on the song Spoonman, which is the song... <laughs> <laughs> that was written for him. Um, and that song was absolutely huge. Um, and, you know, it, it really was a culmination of all of their music up until that point. So their first three, uh, first two records, excuse me, were very psychedelic, experimental, kind of heavy rock music. And then you had uh, a little bit more hard rock, you know, grunge sound with, um, their third record, uh, Bad, uh, Bad Motorfinger. And then when this came out, they literally took all of their sounds and just smashed them all together. And every song is, uh, you know, whether it's a high energy rock song, whether it's, it's a, um, you know, they have some ballads, they have some instrumentals, everything uh, just hits. It's, it's such a great record, um, you know, impeccably produced, impeccably mixed, um, you know, they even took some time off. Uh, they went and toured and opened for Neil Young for a while to give themselves a break from writing and recording. Uh, so that way they could come back with fresh ears and continue to write more music. And the record ended up with 15 songs on it because they felt so strongly about every single song. They didn't want to cut anything. It's a 70-minute album. I mean, it's, it's huge. Um, and again, no skip for me. I went back and listened to it again the other day. Um, and it's it's still good it literally like i was saying one of my all-time favorite favorite records period nothing nothing can touch it it's so good yeah i think you know obviously black hole sun was the big one off this record um that i think if you never heard sound garden you you know that song uh, especially the music video when they do the, way the thing with the faces, yeah, yeah they used to creep. They used to out. creep out. Uh, they used to creep out uh, Grammy and Poppy when I would watch it at their house. <laughs> they did not what? enjoy me watching that Wait. video. Wait, time out. They let they let you watch MTV at their house. Yeah. What about it? That's a me and Poppy. <laughs> me and Poppy gonna have some words next time I see him because that That's was because like, he used to watch. You used to watch Beavis and Butthead. That's why they didn't want to watch that well, garbage. Yes, they did because <laughs> they, one night, because one night I slept over, 
I think it was it might have you might have been there too. And we snuck down and we I remember looking, they had like this little thing that you could look and see in the living room, and they were watching Beavis and Butthead when I was supposed to be sleeping. I was so pissed. I was like, why can't I watch that with you guys? You gotta tell me it's a bad influence, yet you're watching it sitting there laughing. They, I guess they wanted to see for themselves, uh, to make sure. But anyways, it was a it was a trap. They put it on because they knew it would lure us uh, out of bed, and then yes. we didn't get we didn't get lunch the next day as a punishment. <laughs> um, I I think I had listened to this album, um, you know, as as a kid. I didn't really remember too much besides the singles. I listened to it today again. Um, I think my my favorite track is uh, "Fell on Black Days." Um, yeah. I like um just his voice in that i i think is it's so like it's almost like somber but not you know what i mean i don't know how to really explain it like it just um you can just kind of sit back and and enjoy you know yeah his his voice is extremely powerful i mean it there's is. there's parts of the record um where i i don't know if it was a limitation of the technology at the time but I, i'm pretty sure there's parts of the record where his his vocals are actually doing more than what the diaphragm in the microphone could handle. Mm-hmm. It sounds like they applied some sort of um, like overdrive or uh, like some sort of fuzz effect over his voice at some points because the the notes that he's hitting in in his vocal performance was so powerful. It literally <laughs> sounds like there's a buzzing inside the microphone. It's absolutely incredible. Chris Cornell mm-hmm. it was and is one of the best of all time, hands down. Buzz, buzz. Buzzy buzz. Buzzy buzz. I had actually forgotten until doing research for this um, episode that he was part of Audio Slave as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, which I liked a number of songs from Audio Slave as well. And then yeah. I totally forgot or missed uh, the fact that he passed away. Um, yeah. yeah. Four years ago or so in 2017. So yep. I'm sad all over again. Because uh, I yep. had forgotten we, about it. Um, here we go with who died recently again, like we did last time. <laughs> Good job, RJ. Good job. <sighs> oh, gosh. Well, uh, anything else to say about that? If you guys have anything to say at home, thank you for hanging out with us today. Uh, this is a bit of a different episode. We've got one more round of some of the albums that have really made an impact on us and maybe made an impact on you. But if you have any albums that you uh, want to throw out there, feel free to comment below or uh, comment later on the uh, YouTube video. Uh, but thank you for sticking around with us. We've had everything from Soundgarden and The Offspring to Boyz to Men and Michael Jackson. Um, <laughs> so music has, has done a number of things um, to the three of us and, and just a lot of a lot of differences in our, in our opinions. And in sticking with that, um, uh, I actually have uh, one that I think we all agree on. Um, you know, boys to men, Michael Jackson, more on the R&B, disco, Motown stuff. Uh, but I decided to include uh, the rock part. Uh, for me, um, I didn't get into rock until um, until this album, really. Um, and even even more so after that, I really didn't get into rock till about 98, 99. Um, but this album hit me um, really early on. Um, and that is uh, Rage Against the Machine's uh, self-titled album, Rage Against the Machine. Uh, this came out, I want to say, in 1992 uh, on Epic Records. Uh, this was their debut album. 
Um, and probably the one they're known for the most uh, with killing in the name of uh, on it. Um, I, I want to point out Rage Against the Machine has always been a political band. Has yeah. always been <laughs> lyrically um, against uh, a lot of stuff that's going on, not only in America, um, but in Mexico and in a number of other places, the American Indian movement. Um, and I have always known that. I feel like anybody who's ever listened to a Rage Against the Machine album should know that. Um, but what I find funny is in the last two years, Rage Against the Machine has been making the news because people are are telling Tom Morello, hey, we love your music, but it sounds a little too political. <laughs> and Tom Morello <laughs> has literally said, have you listened to any of my music <laughs> for the past 30 years? Um, yeah, Rage Against the Machine has had some revolutionary political views since 1991 with their vocalist Zach uh, De La Roca being the forefront uh, of that. But uh, Tom Morello, just as much, uh, he went on to be an audio slave. Um, he went on to do some of his own stuff. He's probably, in my opinion, and in many others, the best guitarist of all time. Uh, definitely the most creative guitarist of all time, for sure. Some of the stuff that that guy does... If you've ever heard any Rage Against the Machine albums, just know that there is nothing you're hearing on that album that is not a guitar or a bass or a drum. Right. Uh, they don't do uh, synthesizers. They don't do anything else. So everything you're hearing on them, all those weird noises, he does live um, on his guitar for the most part. He pulls out the, the, the power cord and is hitting the strings <laughs> with it. He's pulling out the power cord and hitting his hand with it and making noises. He's... He's doing DJ scratch noises on the, the guitar. Like, the dude is all over the place. Um, awesome. Uh, as of 2010, the Rage Against the Machine album has sold over 16 million records worldwide. Um, and like I said, it's known for Killing in the Name of. Uh, it's known for Bomb Track. Um, it's known for Bullet in the Head, Know Your Enemy, Freedom, uh, Wake Up. Um, uh, just a, a, a kind of a personal story here. When I first started getting into wanting to be in a band outside of a boys to men boy band, I wanted to be in a rock band. Um, my friends Dean and Doug um, would come over and we would rock out in my basement with fake instruments to freedom, uh, Rage Against the Machine. And I would scream my face off in my basement, and I don't know how I got away with this because we would do it until like 2 a.m. in the morning, <laughs> rocking out, screaming my face off in the basement, and my parents would never come downstairs. I don't know why. It's because um, they were rocking out upstairs. They were like, yeah, I know. They were like, man, yeah, this guy's going to make us some money. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you. so it, yeah. again, <laughs> um, Killing in the Name of was was definitely the uh, what drove this album uh, it's a heavy, a heavy track featuring only eight different lines of lyrics, uh, and one of them being "F you, I won't do what you tell me," in which he says "F you" seventeen times. That was accidentally played on the BBC radio uh, in 1993, uh, which I find funny. That's funny. Um, yeah, they uh, didn't eat, they didn't print the lyrics for that song in the in the uh, CD booklet or in the, in the uh, cassette, it goes for, it shows all the lyrics for the first song. Then for killing in the name, it just says killing in the name and then goes to track three. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's hey. the song known for them saying some of those that work forces are the same that burn crosses. 
and it was eventually it was essentially a song against authorities abusive power um rage against the machine has, has actually come up a lot recently in the last couple of years with all of the protests going on across the country and rage against the machine all of their albums have come up on the charts again in the last year or two due to uh, the Black Lives Matters protests over the last couple of years, which I find uh, to be really uh, interesting for Rage Against the Machine to be actually charting again uh, since 1991, um, which I find really funny. Um, Zach also did a song with uh, Run the Jewels, which was yes, dude, oh, yeah. that song yeah. uh, with Zach's voice basically being part of the beat. Um, absolutely mind blowing, and and the video obviously being. <laughs> super political and still very timely uh and his verse in the song also not too dissimilar from what you would hear in rage against the machine but uh still great nonetheless i uh i didn't have a ton of friends in high school and i think a part of it is because i super get into stuff and so once i got into rage against the machine i was that dude running around school with uh with my t-shirt that i had made that said the last the classroom is the last room to get the truth and I would scream out, do you know what we did to the American Indians? <laughs> um, the song Freedom uh, was actually uh, about the case of Leonard Peltier, who was one of the leaders of the American Indian movement, who had um, actually gone to jail for killing two uh, FBI agents uh, during a raid. Um, and there's a lot of bands, including Rage Against the Machine, that were trying to get him out of jail due to the fact that he was standing up against the fact that uh, the FBI was actually uh, overstepping in, in the American Indian uh, reservations. And so, um, uh, sadly, I don't think he got out, or it was a very long time, but um, I, I kind of got out of that phase in the early 2000s or so. But um, I was very uh, political for a little while because of Rage Against the Machine. You were um, you were a uh, social justice warrior before uh, what we know as today <laughs> as social justice warriors. Before it was before it was cool. Um, but yeah, no, I just I, I just raging against the machine in school. He's like you know, all this stuff, and he's like, I gotta go to math class. <laughs> I, I have to I have to thank Rage Against the Machine for all of the friends I've lost over the last two years. <laughs> I appreciate it with everything going on in the world. But um, but yeah, no, this is a great album. And they went on to make a number of other awesome albums. They came out four years later after everyone thought they were going to break up. They came out with Evil Empire, which had Bulls on Parade, Down Rodeo. Um, I'm still watching reaction videos to people listening to Down Rodeo, where he basically says... You know, the last black person you've ever seen was when your grandfather bought one. Um, yeah. You know, like ridiculous lyrics. So good. The Battle of L.A. came out four years after that, yeah. um, which was an awesome album. Gorilla Radio um, was huge off that record. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Calm Like a Bomb, uh, Testify, um, awesome stuff. Uh, they changed their sound just so much, but not enough, not a lot. Uh, Rage Against the Machine kind of sounded like Rage Against the Machine all the way to the very end. Uh, they did come out with the Renegades in 2000, which is not one of my favorite albums. Um, but they do have some really good covers on there, including uh, I think F the Police ended up uh, being a huge cover um, <laughs> from them, which I love their version. If you haven't heard that one, um, that that is a huge one by them. Um, and Renegades of Funk was another one off of, of Renegades, which Renegades is really good, fun. But, I like their uh, their MC5 cover of Kick Out the Jams. 
Oh yes, yeah, so that's a good, good one too. And uh, the Ghost of Tom Joad, I think it was. Yep. Um, and then my band. So I had a band back in the day with with uh, Doug and Alex and uh, John Solomon, uh, who I just uh, hit up on Facebook recently. But um, we actually covered Darkness of Greed uh, by Rage Against the Machine. So we were singing at the Century Lounge and the Call <laughs> and the Living Room um, <laughs> about the AIDS epidemic. So that was fun. Uh, bringing bringing the fun to the yeah. nightclub. <laughs> Tons. <laughs> Tons. Oh, man. But, uh, but good times. But Rage Against the Machine still one of my favorites. They're timeless. It's one of those things. Yeah. You listen to it now, and they could have come out with that album yesterday. Yeah. Um, and especially with the climate of, of the world today, honestly, the lyrics are just as true today as they were uh, 30 years ago. So a timeless album. Um, but Rage Against the Machine is my third pick. What do you guys think about uh, Rage or or the album Rage Against the Machine? Andy, you got anything? Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I um, I don't know if I've ever listened to the album front from beginning to to the end. I've always uh, been gasp. I know. I, I think that one I may have, but I I'm more of a fan of their singles than anything. Um, they. Kind of, I don't know. Sometimes overdo it for me. Like I don't know. I have to be like in the right, in the right mindset to kind of listen to it. From you have to be to really end. angry like, against the like... abuse of power. <laughs> no, it's he... not. It's not even the lyrical content. I think it's the the musicality of it. It's um, maybe a little too much for me sometimes. But I like them. I like. I like their. I like all the singles that they they've come out with, and you know the popular songs that they've had. Um, like even I was trying to listen to this this album the other day and I I didn't get through much of it unfortunately but I was kind of like <sighs> I was like I was like all right <laughs> well, deep um, here um, if if you want something uh, escape reality <laughs> if you if you want something similar to Rage Against the Machine there was another band from California that came out uh, California or the uh, New oh, now I don't remember oh gosh I feel terrible um, but uh, similar lyrical content uh, more hip hop uh, still rock uh, they're called Downset um, and they're actually still going they put out a record back in like two thousand sixteen I want to say. Um, Super good. They came out around the same time. But um, nice. yeah, back to Rage Against the Machine. Super good. Um, <laughs> extremely influential. Uh, I think the point that you made, RJ, that they are still uh, timely, I think says uh, negative things about uh, <laughs> society today, um, unfortunately. Society? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're they're uh, going to be doing a reunion tour. It keeps getting postponed uh due to covid and and whatnot but uh uh all of the members of rage against the machine minus zach because he is very um seclusive um got together with chuck d from public enemy a couple of years ago and they did some live shows and they did cover some rage against the machine songs but they also had some new songs so if you like um public enemy and you like rage against the machine you can put those things together, and that was pretty good. I don't remember what they're called. A political sandwich. No, it was it was <laughs> it was something. They had the word machine in it. I, I don't remember, uh, but it was still good. Um, you know, because it still had the the A rage public against rage the against feel. the machine's enemy. Yes. Yep. 
Absolutely. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. There was Ray, a, Ray sorry, Johnson, I, I, I was trying to think of, so there was another album uh, that they came out with. Um, well, I know they had a couple live albums that I really enjoyed. Um, I know they did a, an actual concert in front of like the Republican uh, uh I think that was, was that live? Uh, well, they did a live from Mexico City as well. That was a great, actually, that was a yeah. DVD as well. And yeah. I loved that because they talked a lot about uh, the background of uh, some of their songs. Yeah. Um, and I think his mother, Zach De La Rica's mother, came out on stage and like started swearing. And she was like an <laughs> old lady uh, in white, which I thought was hilarious. But uh, Dark, Darkness of Greed came off of it. I'm really, oh, Live and Rare, it was called. I'm looking okay. it up now as we speak. Uh, Live and Rare was good because it had a bunch of the songs off of their original album, all live bullet in the head, settle for nothing, bomb track, take the power back freedom. Um, but then it had some songs that they just performed live, like Zabata's blood, uh, without a face, uh, black steel in the hour of chaos which, which had Chuck D from public enemy on it. Uh, he did a poem by Allen Ginsberg called how to be playing on the jukebox and where he just speaks the poem over the music. And it's just so powerful along with F the Police, Darkness, and Clear the Lane. Um, awesome stuff. So if you can find that, it's a compilation album called Live and Rare that was produced by Sony Music Japan, uh, and it came out in 1998. I actually have it somewhere downstairs, um, but it's, it's got it's the Beach Boys powerful. on it, there, Expose. It's uh, got Expose, Seasons Change, uh, Brandy and Juan Yeh, Broken Hearted. Um, no, but it was, it was super good. So anyways, that's me. Let's move on. Andy, what do you got? I got a few. I won't do it. You got one. You just have one. Um, (laughs) I won't go too long on this. Like we just do rage against the machine. Um, (laughs) my, my third album is kind of, yeah, it's, this was later. Um, this was an album that I, that came out when I was in middle school. Uh, so by this point, I am putting my hand, I'm getting my hands on everything that is hip hop. Even if I don't know what it is, um, you know, every day I'm watching, you know, Rap City, 106 and Park. I am just like, I'm watching and learning everything and I'm seeing different artists and going, okay, well, what other albums have they been on and kind of finding new artists and this and that. And um, so one of those groups was Gangstar. Uh, and this album was called Moment of Truth. And, um, it's again start to finish it the cd does run a little bit long um but it is undoubtedly one of their best albums um and they're uh, a very popular group um within the hip-hop community um just be- for two reasons one is dj premier um who is one of the best producers hands down um, yeah. from a hip-hop standpoint and he's done a lot of stuff outside of hip- hip-hop as well I think he's done songs with like Christina Aguilera. Um, he's done <laughs> uh, a bunch of different people. So hundreds um, of songs. Yeah. So classics. Um, so with his his beats, and then you have Guru, um, Gifted Unlimited Styles Universal, uh, uh, on the mic, and he <clears throat> his rhymes are kind of simplistic. Uh, he didn't overcomplicate the way he rhymed. Um, but he it matched Premier's beats to a T. And uh, this album, I feel like, was probably some of Premier's best 
beats that he's he's ever done. And um, I just connected I connected with it because it was just it was a different sound for me, and I really came to appreciate um, that style a bit more. And I started hearing these different artists that were also on the record, uh, you know, for the first time. So um, RJ, you'll like this. So uh, one of the the singles that came out was called Royalty which featured Casey and Jojo um, on, on the hook on the chorus. And um, I, I really liked that one. There was, you know, my steez. Uh, so those two were kind of played a lot um, on, on TV on Rhapsody and stuff like that. So when I saw those, I was like, Oh damn, like, what is this? Like, I gotta get my hands on hands on this album when it, when it drops. Uh, and then from there, uh, there's a song called work. Uh, that is one of my favorites. You got Above the Clouds, which features uh, Inspector Deck from Wu-Tang Clan, who drops one of the most quotable um, verses of all time. It's been sampled a bunch of times. Um, he just he just goes crazy. I'm not even going to say the lyrics because I can't do it any justice. Um, <laughs> he's just, he's insane. Like, uh, if, you, if you've never heard Inspector Deck, like, he is a, a rhymer's rhymer like he is just he, he's fantastic um who's deuce still doing stuff uh um, yeah you know the, the sar face stuff and you know, all our faces kind of, oh man yeah um and there's another song called um jfk to lax so at the time that they were recording this album um the group was kind of, um, you know, potentially in a, in a bad place. Um, you know, Guru was kind of going through some stuff. He was actually facing up to five years in prison during this time. Um, so, yeah, um, he, I guess, and this, this song is about kind of what happened where um, he had a, a gun on him and, and uh, you know, so that he was going through kind of, you know, his trial and stuff like that. And so his, his mind was kind of a little bit um, off of the music at this point. So, um, so that was, it's kind of an interesting um, record. Uh, there's another song called Militia, which features uh, Big Shug and Freddie Fox. So Big Shug is um, somebody who's been around with them since pretty much day one. Um, and he, he comes in uh, first, but the last uh, piece of that record is Freddie Freddie Fox, who is hardcore. Uh, like he does, I can't say half of the things that he says, but it's like <laughs> he, he brings such intensity. I remember the um, the music video, and I was like, "Holy, the, this dude is is bad." Like he he is he's a bad dude, and he's known for um, knocking people out uh with with his fists he's, he's known as a, as a big street fighter so um yeah if you've never heard of freddie fox go back and listen to his stuff uh if you're into like a uh, hardcore hip-hop <laughs> um <laughs> he's just like yeah i'll just i'll, I'll bust it in your face like don't, don't you know he's, he's comes up comes out with it uh she knows what she wants is another good one um yeah so there, there's a bunch of bunch of great songs there's it's a 20 song album um, I feel like maybe one or two songs probably could have been taken off and it would have been a little bit better, but it is definitely um, one of the, one of the greatest hip hop albums. It's definitely uh, their best album. Um, 
So yeah, I don't know if either of you guys have ever heard it. Uh, so I went back uh, and listened to a bunch of this record, uh, and and I had known the name Gangstar, and uh, you know they'd been around for a while. So by the time this record came out, they'd been out for almost ten years. So you know yeah. anyone that had listened to you know hip hop or rap or or anything around that time would at least know a couple of the singles that they had put out earlier um, because they had some breakout hits. This was their oh, yeah. fifth record. I think, like um, yeah. So, uh, but I, I don't solo records too. Like, yeah, they, they've been around for for a while at that point. So I, I only knew the singles off this record. I thought I knew more off of this record, um, but only knowing the singles, um, you know, I didn't know too much. And 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 I put it on the other day, and uh, yeah, the record's awesome, man. Uh, DJ Premier is just every beat. It's, every single beat like he does not miss everything he yeah. puts out is gold um and then everything yeah everything he does is awesome um you know and then with guru uh, over that it's just their styles just complement each other so well i don't feel like premier wrote beats to guru or guru rapped to premier's beats like i feel like like some cosmic entity just yeah. makes just put them together somehow I, it's su it's such a weird thing uh to hear that where neither side of it sounds pre-planned or forced or anything like it, it just you know there's a reason why this is regarded as you know one of the the best hip-hop records um and you know easily their their best um you know, their, their best-selling record at 500,000 copies, which is mind-boggling because other records that were coming out at the time were selling four, five, six million copies. But, you know, this made it to, like, number six on the hip-hop charts and only sold half a million. Like, it's just absolutely ridiculous. It's, it's definitely an underground, yeah, yeah kind of classic. Like, So good. I don't know a lot about... Uh, Gangstar, but I, I I was looking them up earlier, and I really found it interesting. So Guru died in 2010, um, and they had a falling out in the late 2000s, um, but yet he was able to get some of Guru's um, vocals from the yeah. 2000s before his death, and they just came out with a new album in 2019 yeah. with all of his acapella tracks from 2005 or 2006, um, and it actually, it's only about 37 minutes long or so, but, um, it has amazing reviews, Q-tips on it, J. Cole's on it, Neo's on it, um, Royce to five nines on it. Um, some of the songs are like legit a minute and a half long, but people are saying, you know, that it's, it's, yeah. it's really, really cool. Then on the other hand, Guru's absence is, is, is a little bit haunting there because he's not in it yeah. as much as he normally would be, but. Um, I think it's pretty cool that they were able to kind of throw out that last one uh, nine years after his death. Yeah. So, yeah, I know it was, it was a fight for Premier to get the rights to that, uh, to those lyrics and, and those vocals. So to finally put it out yeah. there was was pretty cool. Um, it, it was it was a good record. Um, if you're just like, hey, I want to hear Gangstar, like and you don't know where to start, get the Greatest Hits album. <clears throat> it's got. It's got everything um, that you want to know from from their early stuff to, you know, when they were kind of more jazzy, and then, you know, until this this record, I think it's called Full Clip. Um, 
yeah, there's some other ones. Uh, after listening to this record, I was like, okay, I got to go back to the back catalog. And um, yeah, it was all good stuff. Awesome. So what you got, Mike? Uh, Mike, we've got one more. Uh, this is it. Uh, and then we're going to call it a day. What are you guys thinking at home? Uh, if you guys have any thoughts, uh, what are some of your favorite albums growing up? Uh, throw it in the comments section. And before we leave today, uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about some of your choices and if we agree or not. Uh, but Mike, let's end it. Number nine. I'm I'm curious if anyone here can, obviously not the two of you because you've seen the list. If anyone here can guess uh, what my what my record would be. Oh, it's definitely Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart. Unbreak <laughs> <laughs> My Heart. So this record. Also written by Babyface. Yes. Uh, this record um, came to me as my third choice. I had already had a third choice, which was 1997's Foo Fighters Color in the Shape, because that record is is awesome. Probably the only Foo Fighters record I like. I think we talked when we were bowling uh, the other night saying uh, how much we don't like the Foo Fighters, but uh, that record was awesome. Um, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized, I think I just put that on that list because I was looking at records uh, from that time and I was like, oh yeah, that record was really good. And I did have, it and I listened to it all the time. Um, but the more I thought about it, the, 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 the more I realized I didn't want it on my list. Um, so, <laughs> um, so this record, um, was something that I listened to. I want to say I was 12 or 13 years old when I first heard this record. Um, so music always has been, always will be, always was a huge part of my life. Um, you know, my mom is a huge music head, so she always had racks and racks of cassettes and, you know, bins of vinyl records. Yeah, still does. Um, and I have a, a stupid music collection with like 75,000 songs or something silly. So uh, it is really stupid actually, cause I won't even live long enough to listen to all that music. Um, so uh, this was about the time when I got into playing the drums and was really getting into music. Um, you know, I had listened to music and had favorite bands and had favorite songs. But uh, when you start playing music, you know, there's something different about listening to music where you're picking out individual parts and stuff. So this record in particular, um, you know, when I was going through cassettes and I was just kind of putting stuff in the tape deck and just kind of listening to see what I was going to like and, you know, Jimi Hendrix experience was in there and uh, some Iron Maiden. Um, but there was one cassette Oh, that one. I took it out and I looked at the cover and I'd never seen it before. Uh, has uh, what is known as the star man. Uh, and uh, my mom will probably already know what this is now. Um, let's see if she can guess. Ma, can you type it fast enough before I say it? <laughs> uh also this band's fourth record there's a theme tonight um came out 1976 rushes 2112 the first time i heard the 2112 overture my <laughs> mind like exploded when when you hear the opening sound effects the synths and then everything comes in with a bam bam 
bum, bum, dun, 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 dun. And then you think the song's going to start, but then they do that again. <laughs> and then they, mm-hmm. they do it again. And then, then the song kicks in with the toms and the, the strumming guitars. And then it just, the song just explodes. And then Getty Lee's vocals come in and I'd never, ever heard anything like it before. And again, I've been listening to music, watching MTV, you know, starting to play music. I had never heard anything like this before and effectively still haven't heard anything like this before. I mean, there's, you know, one of my favorite bands, Dream Theater, you know, cites Rush as one of their main influences, but even they haven't written anything even close to or anything as impactful on my life anyways as that 2112 overture and uh you know that whole record you know ended up being two sides the first side of the vinyl was just the 2112 overture and then they filled the second side with five other songs um that all had light tie-ins to that first uh first uh half of the record but yeah that that changed what i thought of as rock music um you know again this was coming off of me listening to things like Metallica and Soundgarden and, you know, uh, you know, anything that was on the radio at the time, Offspring, all that stuff, Green Day. And then hearing this was just like, holy crap, like music can be like crazy, like it, but it doesn't just have to be just like straightforward. Like these guys are, they're playing all different instruments and all different times and editing. I didn't understand it at the time, but I knew that what I was listening to was, like crazy was ridiculous. Um, and still something that I listen to on a regular basis to this day. I mean, that record absolutely just kills it. I mean, you can put that record up against anything in the progressive music category, like I was saying, dream theater and, you know, I mean, Jethro Tull was big back then. I mean, all those bands, uh, no one, no one can touch 2112. Absolutely not. Um, Neil Peart, huge influence on my early drumming, uh, as well as, you know, Lars being a Metallica fan and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't I, I don't even know what else to say is the record is just by far um, one of the best. Nothing sounds like it. Like, yeah, it's so it's so different. I I first heard this with you, actually. I don't know if you remember this. Uh, we we're sitting in your room. Um, you had it on vinyl. Um, and we, you're like, oh, you got to listen to this, right? And I think we're playing like, you know, either virtual pro wrestling or fire pro or something <laughs> like that, right? And um, you put it on, and I remember just like, just like what you said, the intro coming on, and I was like, hold up, what the hell is this? Like, yeah, nothing that I've ever heard before. You know, I'm not like, I wasn't a huge rock fan uh, at that point, and so, so we're playing it, and I'm just like, what in the world, like? the vocal like his vocals are so different that nobody else sounds like him um yeah the drum the drum sounds like they got like it's very futuristic um type of vibe to it as well which kind of goes along with the theme of the the album yeah um i think if you're a a casual rock fan um i think the b-side is probably better suited for you where it's you know five songs and just they're songs the songs right <laughs> you know um uh what's what's the song uh was it train to bangkok uh um, uh passage to bangkok yeah yeah which is their um, ode to uh 
marijuana. Yeah. Marijuana. I really never really listened to the lyrics until <laughs> I, I heard that. I listened to today. I was like, oh, shoot. Um, I never, never caught on to that. Yeah, they're um, not hiding it. Now that we yeah, know, no, they're not, no, they're not hiding now, it. now that I'm listening, I was like, oh, that, that's just, there's no, there's no hiding in there. Um, yeah, I think you can kind of get, like, if you're not a casual, if you're a casual fan, I think you can get kind of lost in the first uh, on the A side because they take that 20 minutes and they, they split it up. And it's just like, you yeah. think you're going somewhere and it's just like, stop, it goes into something else. And it's just, it, it literally takes you for a ride. Um, and you, don't really know where you're going sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it gets weird. There's like, gets there's weird. like a weird break with cool. like sound effects in the middle and you think yeah. the song's over. <laughs> they just come back. <laughs> it's a cool, it's a cool weird though. Um, I think rush, you know, everybody knows, you know, Tom Sawyer and, you know, stuff like that. And um, if you ever watch, I know it has influence like on other, you know, drummers and musicians as well. Like, um, like you were saying, like if you ever watch Freaks and Geeks, uh, Jason Siegel in the in the series is a drummer. Or he's trying to be a drummer. He's really bad, uh, but he's like, <laughs> you know, he's that was like his influence was Rush, and he was like anybody came over, he's like you got to hear Rush, like you got to hear, it. and he's like trying to mimic like, you know, how how they were drumming and everything like that. So um, I definitely see the influence in, in a lot of people. So. Yeah, I uh, Rush has has made a lot of of influences on people. Coheed and Cambria, uh, one of my favorite bands uh, of all time, uh, actually came out with a song called Twenty One Thirteen, which is uh, a, a secret track on their In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth Three <laughs> album. Um, it is actually the longest running Coheed and Cambria song. Um, it's an amazing song, by the way. Coheed and Cambria Twenty One. They're still playing it, actually. It never ended. <laughs> I think it is uh it's it's somewhere between I think it's like 12 minutes long or something like that but it's very similar his voice has been known to be very similar to um to Rush um so but I don't know a lot of actual Rush myself um I should, probably should get more into them but you should pop this album on and just have mind blown yeah yeah at least well, listen guys, to 2112 overture yeah just do yourself that favor well, thank you guys at home for throwing out some of your albums that you you have really liked uh, over the years. Um, we've had a couple Project eighty six songs to burn your bridges by. Um, I actually did an interview with uh, Project eighty six over on my other podcast, um, which is the four seven podcast. Um, <laughs> Emery's uh, Emery, the question. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Uh, debatable weeks end. I'm only a man. I like both of those a lot, but the question's really really good. Uh, the Cowboy Bebop soundtrack, thank you. Millie Vanilli. Amazing. <laughs> Girl, you Amazing. know it's true. Dang. <laughs> uh, Iron Maiden, Somewhere in Time. Uh, Lori did say Rush uh, 2112 back yes, uh, about 30 minutes ago, so I, I, she beat you yeah, to it. She did. I know. She knew it before um, you even, even said it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, her, her collection's crazy. Like, um, I was actually – like an antique place and i saw a bunch of old cassettes and i was like oh man i was like Lori would have like a she probably has all these 
Well, anyways, it's getting super late. Thank you guys so much for hanging with us. This was a little bit different, but we hope you enjoyed it. We will bring this uh, back again uh, when we uh, discuss our uh, high school uh, bands, which for me is going to be a filled with a ton of emo screamo bands. So I hope <laughs> you got to come with eyeshadow on. Yes, swoopy hair. A lot of a lot of screaming. The used uh, taking back Sunday for me. Really um, so fingerless yeah, just, gloves. Yeah, a lot of uh, denim vest. Yeah. But thank you guys for joining us. Uh, I forgot, as usual, to get rid of the countdown in the outro. So uh, here it is. Uh-huh.